Good afternoon, everybody. It's wonderful to see you all and to be with you during this week. So welcome. There are many faces of people that I'm looking at that are very familiar and that I've had long years of interactions with that it's wonderful to see. Case 87 of the Blue Cliff Record, The Whole Earth is Medicine. A clear-eyed person has no nest. Sometimes on the summit of a solitary peak, weeds grow in profusion. Sometimes they're naked and free in the bustling of marketplace. Suddenly they appear as an angry titan with three heads and six arms. Suddenly as a sun-faced or moon-faced Buddha, they release the light of an all-embracing mercy. In a single atom, they manifest all the physical forms. To save people according to their type, they mix with mud and water. If suddenly they release an opening upwards, not even the Buddha's eye can see them. Even if a thousand sages appeared, they too would have to fall back 3,000 miles. Is there anyone with the same attainment and the same realization? To test, I cite this old case, the main case. Yunmin, teaching his community, said, medicine and sickness heal each other. The whole world is medicine. Where do you find yourself? The verse of this koan. The whole earth is medicine. Why have ancients and moderns been so mistaken? I don't make the carriage behind closed doors. The road, though, is naturally quiet and empty. Wrong, wrong. Though they be high as the sky, your nostrils have still been pierced. I picked this koan because it seemed appropriate for the times of medicine and sickness. In the midst of so much sickness, in the pandemic of racism and genderism, the prejudice, prejudices towards differences of sex, gender, skin color, nationality, and the solidification of views within politics, there's so much conflict, so much karma to be faced or not faced, all causing so much suffering. Among the responses and reactions to this, the marches, the demands for justice, the, the rallies as well as the reactions, of aggressive forces of defensiveness from other positions. Where do we find our place that is real, dependable, and whole, and completely trustworthy? As I was writing this, I remembered uh, a program from the mid-50s called Who Do You Trust? starring Johnny Carson before he kind of became Johnny Carson and Ed McMahon, before he became Ed McMahon. Maybe there's a few people here who remember that. Um, who do you trust? It was a quiz show, and that's the quiz that we face. So Yunman, in teaching this community, asks you and I, medicine and sickness heal each other. 
the whole earth is medicine. Where do you find yourself? This is a very simple koan. It has three lines, three parts. Medicine and sickness heal each other. It's a statement. That's how it is from a realized perspective. The whole earth is medicine. That is slightly different, but a restatement of the first statement. And then where do you find yourself? That's a question. That's our question. And I hope we can appreciate this koan, not from some theoretical way that we have to have some great awakening, but as a koan and as a question of our life, where do we find ourselves with these statements, medicine and sickness heal each other, and the whole earth is medicine? Where do we find each ourselves? This is a, a very well-known koan. And in speaking of it and in thinking of it, it's possible without too much difficulty to come to some Buddhist understanding of what Yunmin is pointing to. Yet, it's deeper than that. We are being asked to see deeply into our assumptions of being, past our mind of understanding, and to, into the heart of our being. That's the invitation here, in its simplicity. In this exploration, human invites us to live a life of freedom within the circumstances that we find ourselves. And these are very difficult circumstances. He asks us to step forward as this very ordinary self, yet entwined with all beings when that helps, and to step back as not a single thing when that helps. The first noble truth of the Buddha is the, the truth of, of dukkha, of suffering. To deeply understand and relate to this as our life is to dig into ourself, into our practice. We can hold up our usual stories as we go about our business, holding open the question of who we really are as we investigate our being, our life, with the suspicion that we've talked ourselves into living out of a fantasy of ourselves. And an interesting question that we can ask is, have we been played for a sucker by our own doings? Have we made assumptions by our own assumptions that trap us and cause us enormous pain and suffering? I mean, in one sense, in the midst of these times, is there anything really new here? The first noble truth of the Buddhas is that life is dukkha. Of course, he didn't stop there, but he started there. Last Saturday, in the temple Sangha meeting, as the meeting started, there was some, some statistics offered about, about the epidemic, the hospitalizations and deaths, and reasonable projections in the coming months was read. And as a starting place, this was offered to begin to think about when the temple 
and by extension, the monastery uh, could reopen. And for the folks who have not been uh, looking online, it's gotten worse since last Saturday. The, the number of sick and the number of deaths in major states is going up as a result of them opening. And when this was presented in the subsequent feedback, a couple of folks acknowledged how depressing this was and how difficult and painful it is to face this. And it's not, obviously, it's not easy for any of us. Yet, if we don't start with the reality as best we know it, of what is before us, how can we, we respond in a manner that does not add to the suffering? And it's interesting because all of the states, or almost all the states perhaps, I'm not sure about California, but certainly Arizona and Texas and Florida, they added to the suffering. They opened up. They opened up with political forces that were pushing them ignoring the reality of what would happen, what would obviously happen. And it's interesting that the, the spike, which is significant, is happening in young people. It's happening in people under 40, because they're the ones who went to bars and went to restaurants and went to the beach and exposed themselves. In this particular time and place, is it any different than it's ever been? I mean, in one sense, it is. You know, as in our place, at least in this country, you know, and in many other, quote, civilized, end quote, countries, things are better than they've ever been before. Everyone who's here has a place, a bed, food, uh, relative access to health care. Millions in the world don't. But there was a place, there was a time, most of our history, when none of that, almost none of that was present except for a very few people. So in one sense, we have it good. But we always can turn and create suffering by how we live, by how we use our mind, by our actions. And now facing the multiple things that we face that create suffering, it becomes very apparent, very apparent that this particular time and place are not any different. Respecting this, we turn to the Buddha's practice, turn to the Buddha's insight which leads to our own practice and insight. And this, after all, is the point of living, of staring directly into our own suffering, otherwise known as Zazen, and cultivating your own embodiment of the Buddha's wisdom and the Buddha's compassion. That's the point. That if we buy that first noble truth, that life as we ordinarily understand it and karmically create it, that each of us is empowered 
to step into a fundamental nature, to practice a fundamental nature, so that we can use our power, the power of our life, which we each have, to help. We start with ourselves and extend that, each of us unique with our abilities and situations. The entire teaching of Buddhism is found in the Four Noble Truths, and it's expressed in infinite ways by the infinite formal teachings and by reality itself, if we just look closely. And so always the question is, will we open our eyes to see this for ourselves? That's the invitation that we have. It's right before us. Because the four truths hold the whole body of the teachings, you can enter any of the truths, any of the teachings, and you will see for yourself the whole body of reality. So enter any place. That whole body of reality is your body. That is the, the fundamental message of the Buddha's awakening and the fundamental realization of your awakening. So how do we understand medicine? There's an obvious medical sense, a compound, says the dictionary of preparation used for the treatment or prevention of disease. We all know that medicine can heal, remarkably so sometimes. We all know that all medicines are also poisons. Under specific circumstances, they can damage or kill. A vaccine takes a poison, an element of illness, and uses our body's reaction to it to prevent sickness. We also all know that what we call poisons is sometimes used to heal rather than to kill. Sickness is being ill. We all know sickness. Of course, we can understand sickness in a wider context as well. Excuse me a moment. From a, one perspective, sickness is just a way of saying that we're no longer in accord with the nature of things, with our own nature. And a spiritual sickness and a physical sickness are not so different. They inform each other. So we could say spiritual sickness and physical sickness are one and the same. The first noble truth speaks to this. Anguish, affliction, despair, grief, heartache, pain, remorse, sorrow, agony. I wrote down all the ways that we might think of this. Worry, anxiety, these are sicknesses that can affect and do affect our lives. More subtly and more pervasively, any form of attachment, of holding on to a view or a thing in a way that we are no longer in accord with the nature of things, with your own nature, is a sickness. Think about that. Think about when we 
don't want to face what is before us. But of course, all such things are relative and karmic. That's what relative means. There's a cause and effect. And to some extent, you can see this at play. You know, you can see the tendency towards Newton's third law that for every action, there was an equal and opposite reaction. Sometimes within its subtlety, it's not immediately obvious, but sometimes it is. You can see Obama, and then you can see Trump in reaction to that politically. You can see Trump, and you can see Biden in reaction to that. You can see George Floyd and many, many others. And then Black Lives Matter. And then you can see the response to that. And on and on and on goes the karma. So we live this. It's still relative. And as such, this karma is reflecting a relative reality within this karmic world, very real, but not whole. So what is now occurring in our world is crucial. There is opportunity, great opportunity. How do we give life to this? How do we live? Medicine and sickness are situation dependent relative to the time and place and circumstance. Spiritually, it's the same. So Zen can be a medicine. It can be a deep and profound medicine. Yet it can also be a sickness. And this is true for any practice. Practice, any, any particular practice, can be a refuge. Or it can be a place of avoidance. It can be profound insight or profound attachment. It can be bodhicitta or it can be spiritual bypassing. It's a bit scary when we say the practice will save me. Well, it will. If you allow it and step out of the way. And if you attach in a way that fixes it, then it'll create more suffering. So do we understand these two aspects, say bodhicitta and spiritual bypassing, as different or as the same? Is there anyone here who has not done spiritual bypassing? From my perspective, it's an essential part of practice, although not always helpful, or it can be helpful. Is there anyone here participating in this week of session or home practice who doesn't rest on bodhicitta? Again, the same. And asking these questions, are more karmic dualities being created? Is more separation being created? That's worth thinking about. In the pointer, it says a clear-eyed person has no nest. It's really that simple. In that sense, you could not find them representing some other thing, some policy, some position, 
some place. There is representation here. That representation is the clear-eyed person fully before you. And of course, in that, there aren't two things. Sometimes on the summit of a solitary peak, weeds grow in profusion. Sometimes they're naked and free in the bustling marketplace. Suddenly they appear as a naked, as an angry titan with three heads and six arms. Then it goes on from there. So let me read that again. Suddenly they appear as an angry, angry titan with three heads and six arms. There's a, a figure. Uh, I'm forgetting her name uh, currently. <laughs> but I once went to a retreat with Judith Leaf. I think it was 10 days. We had some exchanges, and at the end of the retreat, she gave me a card. I had a picture of it, an angry titan. It's a Dharma protector. It's also a representation of um, Avalokiteshvara. And she didn't say anything, but I got the message. So I've been exploring anger. Someone recently commented to me that Zen teachers, and by extension all of us, encourage practitioners and themselves to experience our full range of emotions, which is no simple thing in itself, except anger. That's not allowed, that person said. Hmm, I thought, is that true? I've been looking at this and at my own relationship towards anger. If we don't allow anger, what is beneath it is not dealt with. And of course, it will manifest in some other ways that are almost always destructive, if not always destructive. And there are reasons to be cautious with power and the energies of anger. So much suffering and death and sickness has been a result of this passion. Yet anger, like all things, including emotions, has two sides. Where will you find yourself? So I came across this section by Zenju Earthland Manuel Sensei in a recent article in Lion's Roar. She's uh, uh, a transmitted to teacher, a sensei, well-respected person of color. And I'm just going to read a sec couple of sections of what she wrote. So understand I'm taking this a bit out of context, but it's applicable here. It's applicable to me and to you, I hope. But do understand it's not the whole piece. So she says, conversely, I've been condemned for my participation in Buddhist centers that perpetuate racism. What came to mind is they all do. But that's another story. But who among us does not walk every day in the mud of the world? Indeed. In the pointer, in a single atom, they manifest all the physical forms to save people according to their type. They mixed 
may mix with mud and water. Who among us does not walk every day in the mud of the world? We do. And yes, I have suffered within these places. Even while wearing Zen robes, some students and teachers do not see me as a legitimate Zen teacher, even within the institution with which I was ordained. Of course, this is humbling and keeps my head from swelling up while wearing my brown kesa. This. As my late teacher, Zenki Blanche Hartman shared, when bothered with not being seen, ask yourself, who do I think I am? This is a key moment. This is what all of compassion, true compassion rests on. When bothered with not being seen, ask yourself, who do I think I am? Very fundamental question and directly begins to address Yunmin's question, but not completely. She says, there is no answer, only a sober moment and space for nothingness to do what it does. The silence enters and the mountain speaks. If we truly trust this investigation and deeply trust our own direct experience within Zazen and the silence that will come forth and the mountain speech, which is that silence and the activity that comes out of that silence, we can return to you with the energy of wisdom and compassion. We can return to our life with that energy. And so the mountain speaks, since it continues. The rage persists, tears fall. I know it is to be the sacred fire of passion, burning from which I am able to speak of injustice from a place that includes the liberating nature of all beings. Let me say that again. Burning from which I am able to speak on injustice from a place that includes the liberating nature of all beings. That's the heart of it. Sometimes when we read Dharma or hear Dharma, we fixate on a part of it. And in our mind that can come out of context. So please understand what she's saying from a place that includes the liberating nature of all beings. There emerges a burning from which I am able to speak on injustice. She goes on, for a Dharma teacher, there is an unspoken rule not to feel or express rage. Rage is considered unenlightened. In our Dharma communities, as in our day-to-day -day lives, we must often wear masks of politeness to conceal the rage we carry. Yet to feel, to fully feel is to be fully human. If we can't be honest about the human condition, then we can't hear the cries of the earth or experience liberation. It's true that rage like fire to which it's often compared can be harmful, burning away everything in its path. But rage can also be life-giving 
illuminating that which must be exposed before humanity can shift into a greater experience of interrelationship and love. I too feel rage, but rather than rash out, lash out from my pain and anguish, I've learned to use my rage to fuel a transformation towards awakening. I can speak to this directly. Without going into detail, in my childhood, my childhood was filled with rage. I didn't know it. It's all I had. And so I was at war with my stepmother, with everybody around me, with school, and so on and so forth, without any sense of it, because that was my universe. And there also came an energy out of that. When I speak personally of myself, I speak, I hope, for you as well, at some level. Because all of us are energy. And all of us have been impressed upon by our society to be molded in a particular way, which has karma consequences, which hurt others. It's sometimes very subtle and sometimes not at all. And it's pretty limitless and disempowering. And in this practice, we have a way to begin to see this and acknowledge this and receive teachings on this, such as this, from her own experience. I remember as a senior giving a talk and a person I'm close to came up to me and said, you're so angry. And I said to her, what are you talking about? So I had my koan to work on. There's an energy to rage and anger. Just as there's an energy to any deep passion. And we all have that in some way and in some form. And as we begin to learn through this practice to take that energy and have it rest on silence and let the mountain speak, we become transformed. We, be, we, become, to you, we become able to use our very self, a being, a form, our emotion, our energies in the name of true healing true medicine for ourselves and for others. So she says, I've learned to use my rage to fuel a transformation towards awakening. And this is a practice. This is not an accomplishment. It is an ongoing and everlasting practice. So how can we take our fundamental fears, anxieties, reactive emotions, the places where we're not treated with respect or diminished or ignored and use this self to awaken ourself. This is, this is our question to bring to life in the midst of the difficulty of our times and of our place of using this body, this neurosis, this energy, this anxiety, this fear to awaken, to not turn away. And there'll be times we have to turn away. But within that have to turn away, we can, we can also acknowledge we won't turn away. 
In other words, we practice that. Not practice it towards a particular outcome, but practice it with an acknowledgement of how we are and what, what is within us. Standing on the purpose of waking up. And if we stand on that purpose and we are honest and true to that purpose, the more that we have to turn away at this moment or not, this is so important. The direction is clear. This is no small practice. It's no small aspiration. Acknowledging our places, you know, the places where we find comfort and safety in our familiar judgments and our reactive habits. Acknowledging them. Can we see through them? Can we stand in this moment and question with our whole being, what is this? What am I? And let the mountain speak without any expectation. So Yunman says, teaching us, medicine and disease heal each other. The whole earth is medicine. Where do you find yourself? The whole earth is medicine. There's a story about this. One day, Manjusri, the Bodhisattva of wisdom, asked Sudana to pick medicinal herbs. Manjusri said, if there is something that is not medicine, bring it to me. Sudana searched all over, but there was nothing that was not medicine. Returning, Sudana told Manjusri, there is nothing that is not medicine. Manjusri said, gather something that is medicine. And Sudana reached down and picked up a blade of grass and handed it to Manjusri. Manjusri held it up and showed it to the assembly, saying, this medicine can kill people and can also bring people to life. I speak often about turning everything towards the Dharma, seeing everything as a chance, no matter how painful or how joyous, to practice, to awaken, starting with accepting reality. This medicine can kill people and can also bring people to life. How? It's in our hands. Is the whole earth that medicine? Is your mind the mind of medicine? If it is, then the whole earth is medicine. What could be left out? And in saying this, understand that the whole world is sickness. How do you understand sickness? What could be left out? If you understand it philosophically or intellectually, if it has a definition, if it's something, then you'll create more suffering if you see the world as sickness. But if you don't see it that way, if you see it as the whole world, if you see it as endless compassion towards beings, then medicine and sickness heal each other. So how do we understand evil and good? Do we understand that good and evil are relative 
and that we come forth in relativity from the wholeness of our being, which is limitless and also contained within your body. And you experience that in Zazen. Where is the limit of your body when you are just the breath, or just the colon, or just this moment? In a single atom, says the pointer, we manifest all the physical forms. Why? To save people according to their type. We mix with mud and water. You know, I ask this question sometimes. How do you save Donald Trump? Assuming that you wish to, I'm going to suggest you vote. But that's my answer. What's your answer? So Master Bai Zhang, a fundamental teacher within our lineage, from which this teaching, this koan came from, his teachings, said, all verbal teachings cure disease because the diseases are not the same. The medicines are also not the same. That is why sometimes it is said there is Buddha, and sometimes it is said that there is no Buddha. You understand? Situation dependent, whatever helps. The diseases are not the same. So the medicines are not the same. Sometimes the medicine is this Buddha, and sometimes the medicine is there's no Buddha. Bajang says, true words cure disease. If the cure heals, then all are true words. If they can't cure disease, they are false words. True words are false words insofar as they give rise to views. False words are true words insofar as they cut off the delusions of the many beings. Do you see the freedom here? To use words in ways that help and not hurt? The same words can help or the same words can hurt. It's not in the words. It's in what's beneath the words. It's in you. It's in your intent. We're in the relative world here. And sometimes we're clumsy or mistaken or misread, misunderstand. But that, that too is practice. That too is acknowledgement of, you, of our Buddha humanity. Bajan goes on, because disease is unreal, there is only unreal medicine to cure it. Of course. It's all relative. The words, the Buddha appears in the world to carry across the multitude of beings are the words of incomplete teachings. How many times have we heard that? The Buddhas appear in the world to carry across the, the, the river of suffering, the multitude of beings. Are words, Bajang says, of incomplete teachings. Why? Anger and joy. Medicine and disease are all oneself. There is no one else. Yunman was teaching the assembly from the true words of Baijiang. And then to bring home the point, he distills Baijiang teaching into the turning words of this koan. Where do you find yourself? The verse. Whole world is medicine. 
why have ancients and moderns been so mistaken? I don't make the carriage behind closed doors. The road, though, is naturally quiet and empty. Wrong, wrong. Though they might be high in the sky, your nostrils have still been pierced. The whole world is medicine. This is the entirety of you. We can endlessly speak of practice and realization, and we do. Yet there is another step which this phrase cannot hold. In this moment, can we turn towards, out of our own experience, the whole world is medicine. There's nothing else. Wherever you put your eyes and ears, wherever you put your thoughts, your fears, your desires, if you understand the whole world is medicine, then nothing can stop you. All of it. Nothing left out. Good, bad, ugly, beautiful. But we have to start here with ourself. Your whole body, with its beauty and with its ugliness, young, old, scarred, athletic, clumsy, your whole world is medicine. Your whole mind. Sometimes we can move this mind quickly and without mistake. Sometimes we're confused and afraid. And all that we perceive and can perceive, trees and flowers, cars, birds, pollution, the ugliness of human endeavors, and the death and destruction that come with that. The whole world is medicine. Where do you find yourself? That's a single statement. It is medicine if you understand. If you understand what you're doing in this practice, why you're practicing, what you're turning towards. It is also medicine if you don't understand yourself, but now without true mercy. That is why you... Human is talking so directly to you. Where do you find yourself? And so, why have ancients and moderns been so mistaken? Mistaken? This is where it gets real. In the pointer, it says, for the clear-eyed person, there are no holes to fall into. If you take the whole world as medicine, where do you find yourself? as a fixed place, a place to make a lodging, a bed of understanding. You're mistaking this saying as medicine. It's not. You're the medicine, your practice, your understanding and insight, your efforts to awaken, your compassionate actions, and your clumsiness, all of which awakens us. That's your medicine. That's your power. I don't make the carriage behind closed doors. The road, though, is naturally quiet and empty. It's very simple. Because nothing is hidden, there are no closed doors. Because the way is naturally quiet and empty, from the very beginning, you're free and have always been free. It is all here, right before us, in us, as us, wrong, 
wrong. Though they be as high as the sky, your nostrils have still been pierced. All of this talk is already saying too much. Thanks for listening. Did you know that Zen Mountain Monastery is live streaming all Dharma talks and daily Zazen during the coronavirus quarantine? Visit our website to learn about all the online programs being offered at this time. Just go to zmm.org and click on the link at the very top of the page, or scroll down and click on Retreats.